We've uh, taken a three-week panel to discuss, three-week session to discuss a, a, what uh, Evan would probably rightly call a molehill. We've, we've tried to make a mountain out of it, and uh, we wanted to take a little bit of time today to discuss why. Uh, I have some, I have some brilliant, insightful questions here. We probably won't get to any of them, but we'll see. If we do. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure they're so brilliant or insightful. But we want to discuss a little bit why we have a difference and uh, why we took the time to uh, bring this difference out. So uh, why don't we just open with a word of prayer and then we can uh, discuss this a little bit. Father, we thank you for this opportunity that we have to discuss your word and to, I pray that you'd help us, Lord, to understand how, how it is that we can move ahead and as Christians, as brothers, as those who know and love the Lord Jesus Christ. When, when we have disagreements about uh, the interpretation of scripture or the things in it, I just pray that your spirit would be guiding us and helping us and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I wanted to, uh, the disagreement, uh, just to recap what it is. So uh, the, the difference is when you come to the first, we, and in the book, when you come to the Gospels, it, uh, it genuinely looks like uh, Jesus has come to offer the kingdom to Israel that was promised in the Old Testament. And then Israel rejects it. If you take uh, Matthew 21 and 22, the parable of the vineyard, the uh, parable of the wedding banquet, you see that their rejection of the offer that God gave them, their, their killing of the son when he comes in the parable of the, ta- of the uh, tenants in the vineyard, the, the refusal to come to the wedding banquet when it's offered to them, God says, I'm going to give it to others. I'm going to give it to others. So we, we generally, genuinely see that God it appears, that God was offering to Israel the kingdom, and they rejected it. At the time of the crucifixion of, of Christ, They'll say before Pilate, we, don't, we will not have this man. Caesar is our king. We want the world rather than Jesus to be our king. Uh, we, were, we were rejecting the Christ. So the question comes then in the book of Acts, the first seven chapters, and in, in the transition period after that, is God giving Israel another chance to accept the kingdom? It's, it's a small point. So we look at the first seven chapters. Is God offering Israel the kingdom one more time? and then they reject it with the murder and the stoning of Stephen? Or is the offer done at the crucifixion when they reject Christ and they crucify the king, and now God sets in motion a plan that he had from all eternity that he would bring the church, the church out? So that's a, did, anyone, did anyone not understand that minor difference? Is the kingdom still being offered to Israel in the first seven chapters of the book of Acts? They all look with stunned faces. You got, have you got the small, the minor question? That, can anyone? The question is What? Yeah, the, the, Jesus Christ ruling on earth over the nation of Israel as foremost among all the nations. This is what was promised to David. This is what was promised in Zechariah, the end of Isaiah, the end of Ezekiel, a kingdom on the earth where Jesus Christ would reign. Is he offering that to them one more time? Define it, yeah. Well, that, that's, we're trying to find it is a yes. You know, Phil says yes. Uh, Evan says no. I say they're both right. <laughs> no, I, I, I tend to side. I, I think it is a real offer, but I don't. It's, there's a subtlety there that's not important. But uh, the question is, we have a difference of opinion. Now, um, this is what I wanted to. So, I want to see the disagreement, and everyone agrees that it's a minor point. It doesn't affect who we are as Christians. It doesn't affect how we worship. It doesn't affect. It. It's, a, it's an interpretation of a piece of scripture. Talking for the future after all the time said done, are we talking for that moment, from that moment forward, and recovered from that moment forward, or at the end of the time, at the end of the 
an excellent question. And I'd have to say you can't say definitively. It seems that he's offering them kingdom, and he seems to be offering it in the very immediate future. That, that's the what? Then there's a problem. There's a problem in terms. There's yeah, a problem in understanding how the two things could both be true. But is it a legitimate offer? Is God saying to Israel, you acted, in Israel you acted in ignorance, and I'm offering it to you one more time. We can look at the verse in Acts chapter 3 that kind of is the most important verse in that in a, in a short time. But I wanted to take a little time to pull the panel here on some other things before we get to that point. The, um, uh, the, uh, what the two questions I wanted to ask first was, uh, what are things that we really, and why, what are the things we do not disagree about and will not disagree about? What are some of those things in, in, in that, at the top of that list? Because we have a disagreement here about something the scriptures say. And then uh, uh, the other question is, why do the elders, why do we sit around in our elders meetings trying to determine how we're going to teach the book of Acts? Why do we sit there and say, no, we, we, we'll all get in line and we'll all teach it this way? Why do we actually do that? Doesn't that sound a little bit controlling? Does it sound that way to you? But why do we do that? We have a very good reason. And I wanted to try to answer those two, ask, pull those two questions and then get to an answer. So the first one is, what are some of the things that are most important that we just don't, uh, we don't, we don't have debate about? We don't really, I'd say, honestly, we don't tolerate debate about because it's not that you, I couldn't throw the question out there, but there's no, you know, there'll be no dispute about the answer, I said. So I'll, I'll give it to Evan or Phil. What a, I have to turn on your microphone. So they can hear you. Turn it on. Okay. So what are some, I'll let Evan go for What are some of the things we've... Red light. Is light on? Yeah, it's on. Oh, yeah, you're good. Poor, poor Steve hasn't had a chance to adjust to my voice, I don't no, think. It's on. Uh, obviously, the, the need for faith in Jesus Christ as personal Savior to have a, be confidently a believer, that's, a, that's un, unalterable. Uh, the the idea of well the the truth of of what is required for salvation the gospel the gospel yeah. and I think we're all agreed on on the elements of the gospel and, and why what what do we take in the Bible what verse would we go to to say there can be no discussion of that no argument no negotiation neither is there salvation in any other for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And uh, Acts one, sorry, Galatians one, where Paul says, uh, if I, if anyone comes to you, even an angel of heaven, preaching another gospel, may he be eternally condemned. So it's it's a the, the, the Bible clearly teaches that there's no other salvation, and the Bible warns us about presenting, discussing, mm-hmm. really presenting to the to the church, to the believers. That hey, here's another way of. Uh, of salvation. There's another gospel. Here's a new gospel. So uh, we're, we're overly protective. Can you be overly protective? We're extremely protective. <laughs> extremely protective, anyway. That's where we take the bullet in the head. Yeah, that's yeah. right. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'd say add to that uh, the person of Jesus Christ. Who, the, yes. who is Jesus Christ? And there's, there's some elements of that that are absolutely non-negotiable. There's some things we'll have to scratch our head at a little bit and say, we don't, I don't fully understand that. But who is Jesus Christ? You know, That would be another one that would say that's, it's just... It's just not negotiable as, uh, you know, as to who Jesus is and uh, what he did for us on the cross. What are some other things you might see as being uh, non-negotiable uh, truths that we, we would... Uh, well, we, we agree on there's a complete distinction between the church and Israel. The church has a special place with special promises. The nation of Israel has a special place with special promises. I'd probably put those on a second level. 
Yeah, I would too. So, were there any other first level items that we've got to cover them all? Those person, work, and offices of Jesus Christ. Christ. Yeah. yeah. And mm-hmm. Other than that, I'd say it's probably uh, we would. There's a, there's a whole list, a long list mm-hmm. of things that we would all agree on, and that we would all teach, and that are, are important and are clearly tr- seem to be clearly true from the scriptures, like uh, the 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 office of, of the uh, the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's it's not a necessary for salvation, but it's absolutely clearly taught. In, well, it's t- taught in the scriptures, and it's not something we would uh, argue about, other than as to how that all works together. So uh, I wanted to. Any other thing you wanted to add to that? This general. Well, if we didn't have a good basis for agreement, we'd probably never agree on an outline, nor a nor a, a preaching schedule. That's true. So the vast majority of things we agree on. That's I would definitely that. The vast majority. So uh, why why. The second question was, why do the elders, when we come to the book of Acts, we're going to teach it. We come to the book of Matthew, we're going to teach it. We come to the book of Romans, we're going to teach it. And we sit down and we talk about the outline, the, the structure, the teaching of the book. And we try to come to a unified opinion on it. And we try to decide that, okay, we may not all agree, but this is the way we'll teach it. But why do we do that? So that the teaching that we give here at the assembly is as clear as possible, not confusing to the folks not uh, full of controversy, something that they can... The purpose of any teaching is for God to use his scripture to affect our lives. And by us bringing that truth to the folks here, we want God to be able to touch them, affect their hearts and minds, and for the spirit of God to do his work in all of us. So if we start to do this in a confusing manner, if we start to do this in a way that is uh, full of controversy or uh, unclear, it's not helpful to the believers. And so we discuss it among ourselves and then we come to a position and we execute that. We submit to one another and then we go ahead with that plan. I think the other thing is that we take very seriously what the Bible says about the responsibility of elders. We... uh, while we're strictly a staff group, if you will, if you think from a worldly organization. So we, we have no authority to tell you exactly what to do. That's not our authority. But because of what we will give an account for our ministry as elders to the Lord. And that's why we want to be sure of where we are. At least that's, that's and I, I think that's true of all of us. How many of you kind of struggled with what the question was we were arguing about? Dis- discussing, discussing. How many of you kind of struggled with that a little bit? One, I see that hand, a couple hands back there. Yeah, it's kind of, what, what exactly are we discussing? Here? So if, if a, a teacher came in, uh, let's say Steve Herzig or Dave Glock, and they were teaching on a topic, uh, they would have a unified approach on it because it would be their approach from beginning to end. And uh, would we always agree with their approach? No. No. And what should we do as believers when we hear teaching and someone says, this is what the Bible says on this topic? Read the Bible. Read the Bible, yeah. We, the, where do we get that from in the scriptures? The Bereans. The Berean church, yeah. Paul comes to them and says, Jesus is the Christ. And it says, it says very clearly, they were of more noble character. They went and searched the scriptures daily to see if what Paul said was true. So uh, Steve Herzig will come and teach us, or John Glock will come and teach us, and they'll have a unified approach because... There's one teacher, and they'll bring that approach. And then we, each one of us, 
should go to the scriptures and see that, hey, I believe that what he's saying is true. I didn't think of it that way. Or, nah, that doesn't fit with what I see in the scriptures. But that's our balance. That's our weighing point. So we as elders oftentimes have different points of view on a, on a particular topic. We don't always agree. And the main purpose, as Phil said, is instead of one person getting up one week and teaching uh, the kingdom's being reoffered, and another person getting up the week, next week and say, there was no reoffer of the kingdom. We'd spend more time confusing you than if we choose one or the other and try to bring out the great truths of the book of Acts and what God's doing. This, this tremendous uh, either approach is not going to... It, it's going to leave it to you. It leaves it to each one of us to go to the scriptures and say, is this, hmm, I never thought about the fact that uh, God might be reoffering the kingdom to Israel. I, I wonder if that's true. I wonder if that, let me read the first seven chapters of Acts and see if I think that's true. And there's nothing that prevents on any topic, besides those that we consider to be most important, of first importance, that you can't stop and think about it. We say the, we say the kingdom is, Jesus Christ is going to come and reign again in Jerusalem on a throne, a physical throne over the whole earth. And you say, is that what, is that what the scriptures say? It is a noble character that goes and says, I wonder if that's really true. I, I hadn't thought about it that way. Or, I'm, you know, where does the scriptures say that? And you go to, back to the Bible and you look for the passages or you ask somebody, is this really what the scriptures are saying or is it, you know, is it not? You should do that on all topics that are, are being presented to you other than the, the ones of first importance. Want to add anything to the proposal? I think that's, that's absolutely true. And, and the question about what is the kingdom becomes an element of this. Because, for instance, I think the kingdom is the millennium, Period. And that throws us into a discussion of prophecy. And there was a period of time where I figured that I had to learn myself what this whole prophetic picture was. And I've studied quite a little bit about it. But the fact of the matter is there's a lot of hazy things in prophecy. I understand that. But I've, I've subscribed, if you will, to a dispensational view of prophecy. And I'm fairly rigid on that. Uh, and I believe that the, the scriptures reveal the kingdom as the millennium. That's when the lion will lie down with the lamb. That's when a lot of good things happen. When the Lord is going to be enthroned in Jerusalem. And frankly, I don't expect to see that right away. It's sure the trend line isn't going that way. So at any rate, that's that's a and and back of this, I think, is a is just how committed we are to to that in total. There are other entire views of prophecy that go a different direction, and uh, I think most of those are in error and they produce error, and I I worry about that. So that's why that's why I have the position where I am anyway. So, yeah, anything you want to add to that before I go on to the next little topic? Well, I think that Evan and I agree on the kingdom. It's when the kingdom. We agree on just the content of the kingdom. It's when is the kingdom. <clears throat> and so the issue that we have here is, was there a reoffer? We're not talking about what is the kingdom, what's in the kingdom, uh, that kind of thing. We're talking about what did Peter say to the people there on the day of Pentecost? What, what did the Lord say? on the 40 days when he was after uh, he rose from the dead before he ascended. What did the disciples ask about? What did Peter say in the sermon at Pentecost? And what did he say on the sermon following uh, the healing of the man in the temple? And that's the area where we're discussing, not the content of the 
of the kingdom itself. So I wanted to quickly go through uh, what I think are essentials on the book of Acts and uh, pertain to this topic of when the kingdom comes that uh, are, uh, I think we all agree on. So should we just do a show of hands like the, uh, the, uh, uh, the Democratic, uh, uh, what were those uh, debates? Who agrees with this? Who agrees with that? Whatever. <laughs> or, we'll just, uh, or we'll just discuss them, each one. So I, I have a, I came up with seven points. Excellent number, right? Uh, man's, per, man's, uh, man's uh, outline. I had to, but I came up with seven points. So, uh, so let's just say, I think we agree with all these things. Christ did come and offer Israel the kingdom, which they rejected. Mm-hmm. Christ did come. He offered Israel the kingdom, which they rejected. Uh, number two, uh, Israel's rejection resulted in God's rejection of Israel for a time. I got some agreement there. Number three, setting them aside. Rejection's an awfully tough word. Yeah, setting yeah, them aside. Setting for aside for a period of okay. time. So uh, God's setting aside of Israel means, uh, which the, I think the word is uh, re- rejection in uh, uh, Romans eleven. But God's setting aside of Israel means reconciliation for the whole world, all of the Gentiles. Mm-hmm. All right. So far, we're so good. Referred to the times of the Gentiles. Times of Gentiles. No, the times of Gentiles will start with the uh, destruction of the temple. I think. Uh, but that's a minor point we'll probably disagree on. Uh, number four, uh, Israel is only set aside or ejected until the full number of Gentiles has come in. That's uh, Romans 11. That. Yeah. Number five, the church was a mystery in the Old Testament, not understood, not shown, not pointed to. It's, it's not spoken of openly. Not spoken of. It's Testament. there, but it's not. Yeah, it is you there. You wouldn't be able to take it out with just the Old Testament. Right. Yeah, it's a mystery, Paul says. That's Ephesians. Uh, it's, uh, number six, it was God's intent that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. Ephesians 3. Right yeah, so through the church. The God's purpose was that the church would display the manifold wisdom of God. And then lastly, uh, everything happened uh, as God's power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Everything happened exactly according to God's plan. Mm-hmm. That help everybody? <laughs> Should I go through that list again? Let's pray. All right. <laughs> so those are the things we, we agree on that, that sound like the, the book of the church was God's purpose and plan. It, it, never, it never was any other plan. Uh, it, it was a mystery that wasn't revealed. It was uh, it, God has set aside Israel for a time so the Gentiles could come in through the church and that uh, um, one day he's going to give the kingdom to Israel as he promised. Although that wasn't on my list. Anything you want to add to that uh, general agreement list? No, let's agree. All right, I agree. <laughs> all right. So any questions from the audience? I'm sure you're all so excited. The, the kingdom is unto salvation, essentially. It's unto the incorporation of Gentiles and Jews <laughs> into God's family. Well, the church incorporates both Christians and Gentiles and Jews. That, to me, is an important point. Speaking for the Jews, the Bible does make clear, as we look at Revelation, that there's going to be a remnant of Jews that will be incorporated into the, into the kingdom. Mm-hmm. In, in the human side, we can say that's a ripoff. What about the whole nation? Why only 144,000 of God's ordained that many to be in the kingdom? They're, they're, wit- kingdom. they're witnesses. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to start to steer off onto a topic <laughs> on the kingdom. And what we want to do is we want to stick with, was there an offer of the kingdom? that. No, 
This would be 30. this would be 35. 30, 35, 35 AD. 33, yeah. 35. What's 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 being offered at that time? So I, as the, the, a now let's we we can we can start to have a discussion. In fact, Steve Herzig was going to teach us on the kingdom of God, uh, and that might be an interesting topic for us to look at the content, the timing, who's in it. But that's not the debate we have today. My mind goes that just because we have the whole Bible. So they didn't. They didn't at this time. Yeah. All right, so I just wanted to read the, the verse that got me thinking about it one way or the other. It was uh, Acts chapter 3, uh, verses 17 through about uh, 21. So if you want to turn there, Acts chapter 3, uh, 17 through 21. And then uh, we, we won't look at Stephen's speech, uh, but that's the other part that kind of has me thinking about this, trying to understand it. So Peter's uh, coming into the temple in chapter 3. It's just one day, just a normal day. And going up to the temple to pray, the beginning of chapter 3, and there's a man crippled there, and he looks at Peter. And Peter, Peter says, look at him. He looks up, and when someone, a beggar, someone says, look at me for a second, you expect to get something. And Peter says, I don't have any silver or gold. But what I have I give you freely. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And the man starts, stands up. He never walked before. Uh, and uh, uh, he uh, uh, jumps up to his feet and starts jumping around just to, uh, uh, he went into the temple courts walking and jumping and praising God. And people see this. So, so a crowd begins to gather. And Peter takes the opportunity, as he does throughout the, his life, to preach to the crowd. They've, they see this miracle. They're wondering. They're looking. Peter and John just healed this man. They've seen it happen right in front of their eyes. He's, he's jumping around and praising God that he can now walk. It's quite a scene. And uh, so Peter takes the t- topic to address them and offers them salvation. Uh, it t- tells them who Christ was and tells them what they, that they had rejected uh, the, uh, the Christ that God sent. And he says to them, you know, verse 17, Now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders. That's understandable. But this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Christ would suffer. Repent then, and turn to God so your sins may be wiped out, and times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Now, if you stop there, it's very understandable. I think it's very, you would say that you become a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, and God brings you refreshing times. How, how many times of our soul, how great has the refreshment to our soul through the salvation that comes to each one of us Amen. through Jesus Christ? And then it goes on to say that he may send the Christ who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. So, if you if you repent if you if you take because of this ignorance you now repent repent then and turn to God so that times your sins may be wiped out and times of refreshing may come forth that He may send the Christ who has been appointed for you even Jesus so he, and now you could say again if I were just looking at that verse uh, He sends Christ comes into us uh, Christ in you the hope of glory He sends you the Christ but the next phrase says. He must remain in heaven until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. So he must remain in heaven until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. And so I, I put those together and you have, you have two choices. Is he saying, yeah, he'll come to you in your heart and he will send in, one day, in, in some future time the Christ. He will send. That's, he, will, he must remain until God sends him. I'd say that's one way you could interpret it. The other way you could interpret it is, if 
the times of refreshing are the Christ coming back from heaven. That God, it's waiting. Jesus is waiting in heaven until the time appointed. And the times of refreshing that you've been waiting for, O nation of Israel, will come to you as the kingdom if you accept Christ, if you, if you as a nation turn. Now, so I'd say you can go either way on that passage. I, don't, I wouldn't say it locks it down. The thing that kind of uh, strikes me is that in chapter 4, Peter will preach to the Sanhedrin, after the end of this miracle. And he'll preach to them and offer to them, tell them, essentially, who the Christ is. And he's putting before them what seems to be an offer. Not of the kingdom, but of who Christ was. You can still accept it, is essentially the message he's giving. Everyone who... uh, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men whereby we must be saved. He's telling them, essentially, they can be saved. And then we come to chapter 7, after they've rejected that, after they reject the miracles. And we come to Stephen's speech. And if you read through Stephen's speech, you won't find a single sentence about repentance or turning to the Lord. It's like he's reading the, at the end of the court case, he's reading the judgment against them. He's no longer offering them a chance to, to turn or think. So that, that's the argument would, that would be that he's offering them the kingdom. He'll send the Christ He's, he talked to them about the kingdom of God. And when he was done talking to them about the kingdom of God, they said, is it going to happen now? That's the expectation they had based on his teaching, Christ's teaching, and those 40 days about the kingdom of God. And then Peter says to the people, you act in ignorance, as did your leaders. So uh, I'm going to give each of these uh, men here, the elders, a chance to comment on that verse. And then uh, we'll take, we can probably take some questions from the uh, audience about it if you have a question. So Evan, do you want to... <coughs> Well, to me, those verses are an explanation of the plan of salvation. Neither is there salvation in any other, none other name. And the whole issue comes up is, okay, when is the kingdom going to happen? And I, I think that was the original question in the first chapter. You know, what brings some of this up is the mention of the kingdom in the first chapter. And the Lord uh, was with the risen Christ, was with the disciples for 40 days. And it says that that over a period of 40 days, verse 3 of chapter 1, speaking the things concerning the kingdom of God. And that doesn't mean that he was promising the kingdom. That means that he was explaining the fact, and the the apostles, don't forget, were really strong on when that was going to happen. Because when it was going to happen, they expected to be dignitaries in the kingdom of God. And so it was very interesting to them as to, is this going to happen tomorrow? When is my appointment going to come through as Secretary of State and so forth? Uh, and the Lord, I think, explained to them that that was not going to happen. Uh, and he made the distinction of, uh, and uh, uh, well, when they had come together, verse 6, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you're restoring the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses. And so he talked about what was coming immediately, and it was not the kingdom. And uh, I think it's tenuous to think that the Lord, that those words of the early preaching of the prophets was talking about the kingdom. I think it was talking about what was necessary for salvation. And that's, that's where I come out. I think the kingdom is yet to come. 
I think the kingdom is the millennium, and that follows the tribulation. So there's some bad stuff going to happen before the kingdom of God comes in, and, uh, before the kingdom arrives. And that we haven't seen that yet. We're trending toward it, but we haven't seen it. If you want to project, project trends as far as what the world's doing, it looks to me like we're heading for bad times rather than good times. And uh, I don't think we should be real surprised at that. And even in the, the end of this, it, it, the, the thing was, oh, what are you guys standing there looking to heaven for? This same Jesus is going to come back in the same way. Well, he doesn't say tomorrow. And for an earthly kingdom, the Lord would have to be back. And I just think it's, it's confusing to throw this in. I think it is absolutely understandable to say that the Lord was offering the kingdom to Israel. And the, Israel rejected it. And I don't think there's a better example of rejection than to say, we will not have this man to reign over us and nailing him to a cross. And yet that was exactly the plan that God had. Because he was the sacrifice for our sin, we find out later in the, later in the New Testament. And if that hadn't, hadn't happened, uh, I don't know what our hope would be. Because that is a, a monumental change that happened in our world. It was, a, it was a change. It was the revealing of the righteousness of God in the death of Jesus Christ. Because there was no way for sinners to be saved apart from Jesus Christ. And I think to some degree the, the advancing of the arrival of the kingdom dilutes from the plan of salvation. And I don't think God does anything to do that. I think there was a monumental change that came in. The kingdom was rejected. It's not going to happen until it's time that God says it's going to happen. And that says it will happen when the Lord Jesus Christ comes back in power. And he doesn't ask people to be part of his kingdom. He tells them what the kingdom is going to be like. I give a, a different point of view on this. And that is, I believe you can have two things happening at once. The Lord offers the kingdom all the way through the Gospels. That's, that's what he's doing, is offering the kingdom of God, the real kingdom of God with him on the throne. And people could embrace that. At the same time, the Lord gives two definite references to the church in Matthew 16 and Matthew 18. And then there's also areas where he makes implications about the church age. And so there's not only an offering of the kingdom, a real, legitimate absolute, true offering of the kingdom, but also at the same time, there is the realization and the provision for there being the time of the church, and the Lord alludes to that. And so you can have two things going at once. I think the same thing can happen here in Acts. You can have the commencement of the church on the day of Pentecost and the church going on, but also an offering of the kingdom to the nation of Israel. In fact, I think that God, God's purpose was to use the church, the power, the miracles, the grandness and glory of the church to provoke the leaders of the nation of Israel to realize that Jesus really is the Christ and to accept him as the Christ and to embrace him. 
Israel has rejected the Lord Jesus Christ. They've murdered the Son of God. And now the Lord rises from the dead. And he's alive. And there are witnesses to it. Credible witnesses to it. To show the grace, and I hope this will come across, to show the grace and love, unending love of God for the nation of Israel. He says to the nation, now look, you murdered my son, but I love you so much that now I've displayed him openly as a resurrected son of God. Not just one who gave a message and gave miracles, who you murdered, but now he's miraculously alive. And so now, dear ones, I offer to you my son as your king once again. So you can have both going at the same time. It sure would have been a wonderful thing. You know, I'll play if, if, if here, all right? (laughs) If Caiaphas and Annas had come to Peter and the rest of the church, and fallen down on their knees and say, please, please. We, we were so awful. We were so terrible in what we did. And the Roman soldiers that crucified the Lord came to him and said, we were wrong in what we did. And there was a great, huge uh, salvation that took place there at that time. And how rapidly and how quickly, without opposition, the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ could have been spread by the church as opposed to the narrative that we'll find in the book of Acts, the Jews in all of these various outposts in the Roman Empire, they are the severest and most difficult enemies that Paul had to contend with. What if Paul had been able to bring along, now here's Chief Chief Priest Caiaphas. Caiaphas, would you give a word as far as what you think, who you think the Lord Jesus was? All right. To me, the gospel could have gone to the uttermost part of the earth very rapidly, very quickly. And... That had been fulfilled, uh, the part in the book of Acts. It'll go to Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. And then the Lord quickly could have come back and set up his kingdom. In other words, the period of the church would have been much shorter than we have now. The strong implication for that is in the early epistles by Paul. And there you have him strongly stating the case of the imminent, expected, quick return of the Lord Jesus Christ. It could be at any moment. And he's saying that to the church. In other words, as soon as we have everything fulfilled that God wants, all of those that are saved, the Lord's coming back. And he's setting up his kingdom with this great power, this great might. I don't see any problem of uh, the prophecies that we have later on in the Bible, as far as Armageddon being concerned, when you have uh, Rome in control of Israel. And Israel twice went through an Armageddon of its own. 70 A.D., Jerusalem is completely destroyed. In 30 to 35 A.D., every single Jew was thrown out of Israel by the Roman armies. And so talk about a time for the Lord to return, if that was his plan. So uh, that's my uh, feeling about it, is that you can have two things going at once, and completely fulfill all of the prophecies and still have a thousand-year kingdom, that that's no problem for God to do all of those. So that's that's the feeling that I have about it as far as the presentation of the kingdom to the nation of Israel and how it fits in. And we're just about out of time. so Not quite. All right.
Sorry. Which would you rather be in, the kingdom or the church? Well, it's not a question of which we would no, rather. It's not be. either or. It's not either or. Oh, you're sure of that? This would make a great book, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm saying like you, you, you can have both going at once, not a kingdom and a church at the same time. The author of the kingdom and the church, the author of the kingdom declines, and the church is on the ascendant. The question is how long does the church exist? Does it exist for 2,000 years like it is now? Or could it have been a much shorter time? That's still an open question. Could right. have been the seven years. Right. Seven, seven, uh, and it says in Acts that the could Father is the one that will play Most that tune. Yeah. So I wanted to just uh, summarize again quickly the main point I th- that we were trying to get across. Is I, I want to make sure we get to the main point. I want you to. All right. All right. Can I, may I do that? Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. All right. Well, yeah, my main point wasn't about the kingdom. Okay, <laughs> I, I want to make sure that this gets communicated. The whole point of this three-week exercise has been to show that we elders do disagree on points of view, and we talk about it and we discuss it, and then we come to a conclusion. The way this has happened is we submit. That is, I submit to the other brothers. I'm not going to press this point of view. I'm not going to preach or teach this point of view. All I'm doing here in Sunday school class is open it up for you all to see. What we're going to do is follow the outline that has the book of Acts giving us the birth of the church at Pentecost and that going forward. So this is an example of submission. That's the whole point of the class as far as I've been concerned. I'm not going to press my point because... The unity of the spirit and the bond of peace is far more important than any particular point of view that I would have on a less than important part of Scripture. That's been the whole point of what we've done here. I'd emphasize exactly that, is that the responsibility comes to you to be Bereans and to read the Scriptures and to hear what's said on any topic and think about it and does does it fit with the Scriptures. The, just because somebody, a guest or one of us, preaches something doesn't mean that every part of that has to be just accepted uh, without question or, or thought. You, you, you should think about what the scriptures say. Read the scriptures. Think about them. And, and if you have a question, come and talk to someone. Well, you know, what about this verse? How does that verse? And there's, there's, there's no point, very few points, that you can't come up with a verse or something that would, would raise some sort of question about that. You know, and you have to think about it. Sometimes they're very easy to understand the two things that you have, but uh, sometimes it's more difficult. So it's, it's always important to, to take uh, the teaching from a, a teacher who comes or an elder who speaks or a brother that, uh, that, and, and evaluate it against the scriptures and, and think about what it says and ask questions. That's, the, that's what we want. That's what God wants. That's what he, he calls the Bereans of noble character because they did that very thing. And uh, so, you know, again, uh, we, we all agree with Evan that it's a very, very minor point. And uh, we've, we've used it didactically to, to, to say, you know, please be of noble character and evaluate the things that are said uh, from the pulpit against what the scriptures say and ask questions when things are not clear or uh, seem to be, well, how does that fit with what I've taught here or what you said there? I think Matt wants to get in his last question. By far, that's the most important thing I would say. The question I have, and I don't know if other people are thinking the same thing, if the kingdom has, as Brother Phil said, a parallel timeline that is working in this direction as the church is going in this direction, what is the value, what's the takeaway that the kingdom has a parallel timeline and it's marching forward just as the church ages started to move forward? That's probably a longer discussion than we have the time for. Much, much longer. The, 
God's kingdom, God's plans are irresistible. They're going to be executed. The timing of it is out of our hands. We don't know when it's going to take place. That's been stated several times. We're told to always be alert and look for it. So we have a king in glory who's awaiting for his arrival here to take his kingdom. So the the parallel plans that we talk about, in a sense, I don't want to say that. What you have is you have God has plans for his kingdom. Right now, this is the age of the church, the age of the spirit of God. And we're going to come to an ending point at that. The church will be raptured out. There's going to be this hideous time of great tribulation upon the earth that's described for us. And then in great triumph, the Lord's going to come back to the Mount of Olives. And there's going to be this awful time of him trampling out his vintage. Uh, Retribution, dashing the nations in pieces like a potter's vessel. But then this glorious kingdom set up here on the earth that's going to take place. So you don't have them working in, in parallel. The kingdom is set aside now for this time. But the king is just waiting just waiting for the precise time to come back. It could be today. Maranatha. Maranatha. So we can discuss it further at a different time, but I think we'll uh, we'll, uh, close with prayer. Any last comments, Evan? I I subscribe to everything that Phil just just went went through. The rapture is what I'm looking for. Amen. I'm listening for a trumpet, and I'm looking to see the Lord. And I think that's, that's that's our... prospect as a church as the church as believers in jesus christ and i don't want anything to dilute from that i think this parallel thing that's the only reason i'm sitting here because <laughs> i i think that dilutes somewhat from the rapture all right well let's close in further father we thank you for the the love you've given us through your son the lord jesus christ we thank you for the scriptures that allow us to to understand and look at and think about these things and you gave them to us for a purpose and they're Things that are written are written for a purpose, and they're the things that we think are confusing or are intentionally there that we might understand things that otherwise wouldn't be understandable. And we just thank you for your word, and pray, Father, as we as we look at the church, as we look at the the events that take place in the Book of Acts. What a what a wonder it is that you would. You would call us and you would uh, go out to the highways and byways and uh, bring them in. And uh, we've been brought in, Father, by uh, the lame, the poor, the sick, the whatever. We've all all been brought in to the to the, uh, to the church, to the to the to the, um, to the salvation that you offer through your Son. And we thank you for that. And we pray that you'd help us to be able to understand uh, the Book of Acts as we go through it in Jesus' name. Amen.